and Alan Watt and we're going through this matrix and the words of that song are very telling because you see that's the future that's the future we're going into it right now and you're watching it being built all around you you have since 9-11 and those with eyes to see and ears to hear saw it long before 9-11 when they tried to pass anti-terrorism bills back in the 90s and those in the know who occasionally talk a little bit loosely to certain individuals were discussing this as far back as the 70s when they said that after uh, the Soviet system, after the Soviet era, they would bring in uh, a planned world, so like, like planned parenthood type of thing. A planned world uh, that would follow the, the Huxleyan system. Initially, you would see the force of, of the Orwellian type system, but eventually they wouldn't even need the troops to keep you in line or policemen to keep you in line because something was going to happen that, was, that you couldn't think for yourself. And what they're talking about is chipping the public, putting chips in you, interfacing you with computers, and literally controlling what you will think of as an existence, probably giving you a complete fantasy. And I've talked about, and it's on my website too, at least one of the, the downloads of transcripts I got from the Loyola University, back in 2000 and 2001, the very first one where they had the world meeting of scientists and uh, biotech engineers from across the world. It was hosted initially by Newt Gingrich. I believe he talked to later ones as well. So they never, they always give good jobs to these guys that seem to fade out of the picture. They never do fade like Maurice Strong. They're just given other appointments where they're given more power. They're not responsible to the general public and therefore they're given more power and they're happy to wield that power and do their great work, as they call it. And at that meeting, they talked about um, the ability, and, and it was all ready to go, actually, to control millions and millions and millions of people, but eventually billions of people in the world, with insertion of brain chips in, in their heads. And the, the big corporate guys were there from the big familiar uh, corporations that deal with electronics. I think Sony was one of the main leaders in that field, because back in the 70s and in the 80s, they had, they had used silicone chips and managed to transmit signals from them into human brain tissue. Sweden uh, has been the, the, one of the world's leaders in this area. They were using prisoners as far back as the late 70s, right through the 80s and the 90s, to interface them with computers. And Sony and all these big companies that are not as private as you think, they're all interconnected, um, have been working hard on creating a chip and it's all ready to go and it's covered with a type of human protein a kind of protoplasm which will bind with uh, your nervous system and be able to transmit messages to your brain and receive messages from your brain and transmit them back to central or regional they call it regional computers which apparently are all ready to go these supercomputers back in the 90s Canada in a, a little blurb in the Toronto Sun, mentioned that Canada had ordered five Super Cray computers. These are massive machines that are liquid-cooled and create a tremendous electromagnetic activity around them. You can't wear metal. It will, will fly your pocket and fly across to this machine. Five of these things. Now, one of them is enough to run the data pretty well of every person in this continent. And, and little old Canada had ordered five of them, and the governments wouldn't tell us what they were for. 
Well, with five of them, you certainly could have everyone uh, in this continent uh, interconnected. And one of the speakers at that Loyola meeting said, think of the world as, as interconnected. He said there'll be no longer individualism. To even think or imagine individuality will be impossible once these chips are implanted. And he said, think of it more like the hive. Now, they love the hive. That's always been their symbol for controlled society, going back to the days of ancient Egypt. He said, you'll hear the, the hum or the buzz of words passing through your head on the way to other people and back again. This big, and I thought immediately that's exactly what the the show was on the Borg, the Borg with the Star Trek series, when they met the the big cube, the perfect Ashler, the spaceship, which was called the Hive, and uh, that's what you heard was this this whispering of all these thousands and thousands of voices going through your head back and forth, and that's the beautiful world they planned for the general public, and unfortunately like the way they plugged the internet and the way they're plugging iPods and all the rest of it which and everything's getting smaller and smaller and smaller until you'd need a microscope to punch the, the keys uh, it, it would get so impossible they're going to tell you to do much much more to just plant it inside your head and then the media will go into overdrive and tell you not only will you have lots and lots and lots and lots of porn but you can actually be in the porn movie you'll think you're in it and that'll be the biggest seller and people and I kid you not I kid you not, they'll go in droves. All ages will go in droves into this new fantasy world that's outside of their control because they're not programming it. It's all done by other people. And you cannot fight a system like they portrayed in the Matrix movies. You can't fight a system if you're not in charge of the programming. That's the bottom line. Once you're in it, you're, you're stuck. You won't know what reality you're in. You might think you're still in the real world as they phase you into it. Plus, the Pentagon and other agencies across the world have admitted they have sets, fictitious sets of you, that doubles of you in, in fictional form with all the data they've collected on you in, in programs and computers alternate realities with a, a copy of you already in them. And everything that you punch out there in this big world and all that data you give out about yourself is now getting fed into them to get a perfect image of you. Now they've got games out to scan the brains of the user using electromagnetic imaging and so on and ultrasound to, to scan your individual brain and then can send back to you senses of smell and taste and so on to get you used to it. But it's scanning your brain. Well, that data will also go back to these computers. And one day you won't know if you've woke, woke up in the real world or the fictitious one. And that's coming. That's coming. And I think it can increase the stress level and the confusion that they have already in this world. Most people will go into this feet first. Or, or head first, they'll dive into it, some of them, to escape what they think is the stress of this world. And they're quite right about that. It's, it's meant to be stressful uh, by those who control it. They don't give us peace. Look at your history books, and you'll find not a generation has passed that's had peace of any kind. You're always given a war to fight or a financial collapse or something, but they always make sure they're worried and you scurry and you're afraid. That's intentional. 
That's the oldest trick in the book, going back thousands of years, because when it happens, the public, who never figured it out, looked to their leaders to help them. The abused people turned to the abuser for help. And the abuser is only too happy to supply the solutions that he's already dreamed up. And we swallow it and go along with crazy laws all the time. That's the world they're bringing in. And we have to stop once in a while and take a deep, deep breath and shut everything down and start thinking. That terrifies the modern person. And I've done many, many tests on this particular subject. A lot of people come up, for instance, into the country from the cities. And you can always tell them on the holiday weekends, nose to tail cars, and they've piled so much into their vehicles there, everything but the kitchen sink for a weekend. And they get to a destination, uh, they try to put up tents, or they're going to go to cabins that they've rented and so on, and, and unload all this stuff. They get drunk for one day, and the next day, with hangovers, they're heading back to, to the cities again. And they call this the, the, their holidays. It, it's just amazing to watch them. It's like watching a foreign species if you live in the country. And, and they're so neurotic. And the thing is, the noise that comes with them, because they can't sit for a minute without hearing a radio blast or a television blast, but they can't sit in silence of nature without freaking out. Because for the first time, perhaps, for years, maybe for their whole life, they hear a little voice, and it happens to be their own. They're thinking. And it scares them. They're not used to it. Do you really think that those talking alarm clocks that turn the radio on in the morning were there for your convenience? Do you really need some disc jockey, a blabbermouth, a motormouth, blabbing away first thing when you wake up? Or was it for some other purpose? And then you drive to work with something blaring at you. Any noise at all, even the guys will listen to sports even if they don't care about it because they don't like silence. Then the, the bustle and the preoccupation at work, then they come back from work in the cars and nose to tail. Noise, noise, noise. They get back in the house, then the television is on or the computer is on and they're playing away with, with games until they hit bedtime. But hardly a minute goes by where the average individual that comes from a city sits and thinks for themselves with their own thoughts. It, it freaks them out. It freaks them out. And psychological and sociological studies are done on this all the time because you, that's why you pay big big bucks and, and throw money out to all these organizations to study us because we must always be understood and controlled and upgraded like you'd upgrade a computer program they upgrade us every so often with Newspeak and it's very similar to the Eskimos the Eskimos up north uh, I was reading a report uh, that came out back in the 60s apparently when they fly down uh, someone from the Inuit country, uh, territory, and take them down to Toronto for an operation, and, and they had to bring them back much quicker than they expected because they couldn't stand the noise in the city, of vehicles even, night and day. He was used to silence, utter silence, and he couldn't stand not seeing the horizon. Well, everywhere he looked, these massive buildings, these, these skyscrapers going up to the sky, it would freak them out. And that's how we are. We're all so studied, and according to our environment, it will affect our, our mental health. We adapt to the environment. And that's why people like Skinner, 
the behaviorist psychologist said well, to, to change people to change people we must alter their environment that's why they gave you a radio your environment now is altered and that radio then will alter you that's why they gave you a TV it's in your environment it's going to alter your behavior and sure does people sit there hypnotized for hours and never speak to each other watching television and the computer and now is in your environment it alters your behavior behavior modification all well understood except by those that use all this stuff the people at the bottom that buy it all well understood and discussed at, with top think tanks that give reports to government departments and war administrations and pentagons etc to make sure that they can never give anything to the public that would benefit the public is always for an ulterior purpose behavior modification alter the environment and they do look at the behavior even with the ride programs that started with again what people thought was a grassroots movement big con job everything's a con job mums against drunk driving an idea was to get you slowly trained into a system where you wouldn't mind so much you would become routine getting stopped by policemen wearing guns than any other time in history, when you were stopped on the highway with a guy with guns, you were going to get robbed. They called them highwaymen. They were robbers, like Dick Turpin. And you just give them a, a uniform, a one-form uniform, train the public that that cloth makes the person in it different. And still put the pistols on them, and he puts his hand up and you stop. Now, where it's a highwayman grabbing the money out of your pocket, or the rings off your finger, or a cop demanding that they give you a ticket so that you pay his bosses. It's all the same act as training you, training you to obey, obey power and weaponry. Keep you in fear. It's all to do with perception distortion. And you distort perception by gradual indoctrination. People like Jax E. Lull wrote about this in great length and great detail. He, and he also advised people at the United Nations should read his books. He tells you how they really work. Back with more on perception after these messages. demand. This is We the People Radio Network. He's five foot two and he's six feet four. He fights with missiles and with spears. He's all of 31 and he's only 17. Been a soldier for a thousand years. He's a Catholic, a Hindu, an atheist, a Jain, a Buddhist, and a Baptist, and a Jew. And he knows he shouldn't kill, and he knows he always will. Kill you for me, my friend, and me for. 
for you. And he's fighting for Canada, he's fighting for France, he's fighting for the USA. And he's fighting for the Russians, and he's fighting for Japan. And he thinks we'll put an end to war this way. And he's fighting for democracy, he's fighting for the Reds. He says it's for the peace of all. He's the one who must decide who's to live and who's to die. And he never sees the writing on the wall. But without him, how would Hitler have condemned him at Laval? Without him, Caesar would have stood alone. He's the one who gives his body as a weapon of the war. And without him, all this killing can't go on. He's the universal soldier, and he really is to blame. His orders come from far away no more. They come from here and there, and you and me, and brothers, can't you see? This is not the way we put the end to war. Hi folks, Alan Watt, back with Cutting Through the Matrix. And talking about perceptions and how they're distorted and altered until... And as long as everyone has been given the, the same end product and perception on a particular topic, and they share that with other members of society around them, and they all prove to each other that their downloading has been successful, each one will think that they're sane. If so-and-so thinks the same as I do, therefore I'm sane. That's how people judge themselves in society. They're terrified to be different and, and think differently, or they might even be shunned, and that does happen. They might be shunned by society. If you say something that's too unpleasant, they don't like unpleasant things. It's something that's been understood again at the top for many, many, many centuries. I'm talking about how dis perceptions are distorted and how you're trained, and Jacques E. Lull wrote about this. He said, all fiction, all drama to do with law, the legal system, all drama, that's your television series and your heroes and so on, it's all propaganda. All of it is propaganda to create a different impression of what it's really there for, its real purpose. And all you see are television series and dramas. It should be always murders. And, and it, the, the, all the police force were spending all their time in fretting and, and, and worrying over the, uh, catching a murderer. And this is what people really thought. But 99.999% of police are out there giving tickets because it brings money in. That's the real purpose. It brings money in to local governments and, and even federal governments. It keeps the whole legal system going. When the Toronto police force went on go slow or a kind of a strike a few years ago, uh, the city hall was in pandemonium because they factor all of those fines they're going to give out uh, during that period. They factor it into their budget. They need it. They depend on it. And the cops are given their quotas on how many tickets to get, get, give out there. That's been admitted to here. And, and I wish they'd admit it all over the world because that's what they all do. They're given quotas, how many speeders to catch this week or, or faulty vehicles or, 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 or someone charged with unsafe driving because they swerved as they hiccuped or something. And uh, this, this goes on all the time. They're given quotas. 
and every cop wants to please his boss. And every cop who goes into the force, regardless of what they really think about, I mean, most of them want the power of having the power to make the public cringe. They get off on it. They get off on watching the public cringe uh, when they stop you and stick their head in your wind, window. Uh, the public generally cringe, and that, that, that's, that really gets them off. These are the bullies at school that would never fight on their own with anyone else, but they stand back in a crowd and cheer on their favorite leader. Now they're in uniform and they feel that the force of the system to back them up, so they're, they're quite happy and watching you cringe and giving off the, this, these, these vibrations that they just soak up like vampires. That's what it's all about, personality types. Personality types. And the distortion of what they're really there for. Most cops are there to bring in money for a system. And now with a prison industry, an industry, a prison industry. Now, what's changed when we go back to Charles Galton Darwin, who wrote The Next Million Years, when he said, slavery has always existed. And he's telling the truth because his predecessors and ancestors and all those he was connected to, royal families and so on, had run the world for thousands of years already. He said, slavery has always existed in one form or another. And we are in the process of making a more sophisticated form of slavery. What he meant was the slaves wouldn't know they were slaves. They would distort their perceptions of slavery. But when someone can kick you out your home because you can't pay taxes on your home, you're really a slave. You don't own that home at all. It doesn't matter how much money you've paid the banks. You've got to cough up that money. You can't even be safe in your own home. Now you can't be safe because they're using all the the codes, the building codes are upgrading to get you out of that home. And again, the upper middle class will pedal faster and, and they won't notice it so much as those that are beneath them sink until it hits them, then they'll start squealing as always. Because eventually no one will be able to keep up and pay all the massive upgrades that they're supposed to have every two or three years and, and they'll make it every six months if they want to. That's how crazy it will become. It's a planned insanity because the object is nothing to do with what they're telling you. The object is to get you off the land eventually into a new system, a new controlled society, the planned society. So perceptions are altered through propaganda, and the best method is through fiction. Fiction. That which grabs the image within the imagination. Imagination. Image. They grab your imagination, they attach a human story to it with a, with a mystery, and you're hooked. But you don't realize that as you're following that story through to its conclusion, uh, you're being programmed with little new, new ideas or new ways of looking at society, even throwing away old values in the process, and you're being upgraded. And you'll notice the children start parting the, the words they hear from, from television. This was discussed in the 19. 60s in Britain, an international meeting of the Royal Institute for International Affairs and all the Commonwealth country associations and also with the Council on Foreign Relations to decide who would project the culture of the future to the world. Would it be the, the music industry and movie industry based in London, England, or should they give it to Hollywood to do? And then they chose Hollywood, and it was published in the newspapers at the time. They give you your culture. 
create your culture when they want to. And the last ones, like Plato said, 2,300 years before that, to notice, the last ones to notice are the public who are living through it themselves because we adapt so quickly to these changes. Perception, perception. Now, Tavistock Institute that really started using some of the sciences of human behavior and understanding of human behavior in England helped the BBC put on their first programs for the radio in World War I using these techniques. I'm going to be back with more after the following messages about this particular institution. Somewhere, our troops were always somewhere. 
had been for centuries, ever since they created the Bank of England, which wasn't created by the Rothschilds. It was created by a Scotsman that was sent down there, High Mason, Knights Templar, as who set up the Bank of England in preparation long before for the Rothschilds coming in. Long-standing plan, that's another story. And it's always amazed me how people live their lives really hoping that, that somehow they're favoured. Me, I, me, I, I, me. I am favoured. And your tax money is blowing people up across the planet, killing people just like you and me. Just like you and me. They bleed the same way. And, and they grow up with the same aspirations, sometimes less, of course, a lot less, if they can just have, have a family and, and a few sheep or something and some clothes just to keep themselves clothed, that's all, not for fashion's sake. They think they've done okay. And, and they're generally pretty good to each other because of an old culture. And we're off there killing them, slaughtering them. And, and meanwhile, back home, the average person thinks the world is spinning around them. And somehow, it doesn't. what's happening with your money and your offspring, even your, your soldiers that you rear to go off there, and then you're proud, you're taught to be proud of them. Your little mercenaries, they go off and, and, and please their paymaster. They go and kill whoever they're told to kill. That's what a soldier does in peacetime. And because he's a mercenary. And, and mercenary comes from Mercury, the god, the messenger. He was the god, the patron saint, or god, for mercenaries and merchants. That's why you have the words are the same, similar, same root, merchant. Because you always had the merchants going in hand in glove with the military. Nothing has changed. Money goes hand in glove with the military. Their jobs are economic jobs. Slaughter is economically uh, associated. Uh, Karl Marx said that too. And he was right, because he was taught by the bankers. So I used to be stunned to, to realize that people didn't care. Most people really didn't care about other people uh, that were not involved in their immediate friends or family. And I, that hit me very early on that that was the case. Then look, I looked back in history and found out, I said, Mike, it wasn't always like this. Because it was, at one time, whole countries, whole nations, tribes would stand up together as one and fight oppression. But those tribes were independent. They didn't use a monetary system. That was the difference. The money brought the whole system with it. Money was part. It was the MO of the system. And then it was followed by laws and rulers and monarchs and and a whole range of sub-monarchs all the way down this pyramid. And then, then religions to back it up and tell you why you are a peasant and why you must be a peasant and, and obey. I realized that very early on, that the most people, because of the system, in this artificial system, where you're kept worrying and, and in living in fear, there's no time for worrying about other people they'll never meet in their lives. And the media and the news is always so remote now. It's about some place that you'll never go and see in your entire life. Plus, most of what we get on television, amongst all of the trivia and, and the so-called comedies, with the canned laughter, I mean, canned automatic response. Is, is, again, Pavlovian, the canned laughter comes on and you're supposed to laugh, and most folks do. Pavlovian's response, stimulus response. Very simple. But... But most people really don't care. 
about other people. And it doesn't dawn on them if the masters of their country, the masters of their country, are slaughtering those elsewhere, whether it's in Latin America, over in Europe, or in the Middle East or Asia or anywhere else on this planet, they'll eventually come round to you. It's the same masters, because they don't differentiate between the peasant of one country or the peasant of the person in the country they're lording it over. Because these people at the top are internationalists. They always were internationalists. Ancient commerce was international. Even then, in the, in the days of the Phoenicians, it was international. And the same money men went off with the ships of the Phoenicians, setting up factory towns, which were full of slaves. And the Phoenicians paid armies, because now they had money, and people accepted money, then you could actually hire the army for the first time. And used foreign armies, which had taken over countries through debt, through the circulation of money, then, then the collapse of the money, then recovering the money through debt collection, then owning the country. They created foreign armies and they built empires. And they used those troops to go and conquer other countries and force the same system on them. This is thousands of years ago. The Romans wrote a lot of history. You should read the writings by Tacitus who wrote for, for Nero, the Emperor Nero, who was fascinated by how the tribes lived in Europe and in Britain because they gave them such incredible, fierce resistance. And most of the Roman army was recruited from the countries, the young men from the countries they conquered. So conquered countries, uh, people who have no value as such, they're, they're conquered, defeated. You give the young guys the chance of making something in the world and you give them a little outfit to, and their weaponry and then they work for you and they feel like they're suddenly somebody. Nothing has changed. They created empires to go off and conquer countries. But Tacitus wrote a lot about the tribal systems and how they existed in Europe and in Britain. And it was completely different from this ancient system, already ancient system that had begun in the Middle East and in Asia, long, long before. Completely different, because the people did live communally, not the Marxist, Leninist communism, but we don't realize that all of our ancestors lived communally at one time. Everything that the tribe owned was owned by everyone in the tribe. And they often had huge, long huts, long, where they go in and eat together, and the furniture was just passed on, these generations grew up generation after generation after generation, and everyone got fed, and everyone was important to the customs of the tribe. They didn't have money to turn everyone against everyone else through fear for your own personal survival, but that was encouraged when they brought in money. And when Rome changed its hat through Constantine, and accepted Christianity. They simply used the same empire and conquered using religion. Back with more after the following messages.
online and on demand. This is We the People Radio Network. through this matrix here and I never plan my talks I just come in or do whatever I'm finish up what I'm doing and come in and sit here for a minute before I go on and let it flow I don't have staff to help me and punch things up on the screen for me to tell me the topics and all the data concerning the topics so I sound like a genius and I just let things flow and that's the way it's supposed to be in life that's the sort of existence we're supposed to have and that's how we're supposed to talk to each other and exchange knowledge because knowledge is a very very true knowledge is a very important thing true knowledge truth is very very important and and it's so important to to share it while we can that's what life's all about and I was just mentioning there how uh, Tacitus although he put them down for certain barbaric ways and and they love to, to have sporting events and so on. Unfortunately, in, in Europe, the tribes did like sporting events and all that kind of stuff. And but most of the thing, most of the time, the people uh, shared everything that they had because it was a simple customs and simple laws that kept them going and bound them together. Uh, the system we have is to, not to bind us, but to fragment us and keep us all separated from everyone else. And at one time you couldn't offend any one person in a tribe or the whole tribe would be after you. That's how it was. You stood up for each other. It was very important. And everyone understood the social laws because they were simple. You don't need, again, guys wearing fancy dresses and carrying strange symbols or chanting in languages you don't understand to impress you. When that's happening, you're being fooled. Uh, everyone would grow up in a tribe and understand the basic rules of the tribe, the social rules. It's very, very simple. No cons involved. And chiefs and so on often were elected by the people. The Nordic way was the same with the Uppsalas. They did have the, the big gatherings and everyone would say yes or no. Or, and if they wanted you out, you were out. You didn't have an army to stand up for you and keep you in power. Uh, that was a no-no, so he didn't have, because everyone in the tribe was part of the militia, if you, if you want to call it that. And militia comes from the tribe that went through Ireland. Uh, that's where the term comes from, militia. So that's, that was the nature of the tribal system. Uh, not nearly as barbaric as they made out to be. However, they put up incredible resistance to Rome, to ancient Rome, pre-Christian Rome, when it went into Europe and then tried to get it into Britain. It took over England, but it couldn't do it with Scotland. Uh, Scotland um, fought them off very successfully, and they built walls. They loved to build walls across whole, whole places, and they, bought, they, they built two walls eventually, and, and it didn't matter because the tribes just went over the walls anyway and went to wherever they wanted to go as as it's the way it should be so Rome couldn't understand they went to understand the nature of these people and what they found was they had no fear of death They, they had no fear of death at all they believed that this life here was only part of a journey of a travel and 
and uh, they were ferocious fighters and very successful fighters. And really, it wasn't even England itself, that part that became England uh, much, much later. Uh, the, the tribes in that area, uh, unfortunately, some of them were, were bought off because they'd had more contact with the traders. Money was introduced, and you could buy people off with money then, and they would help fight against their own people. That's, again, been a traditional method of conquering. But Rome, remember, was an empire. Decadent at the end, and they gave bread and circuses to keep it all together. Uh, Rome lived off the taxation of all of its empire. That's where the massive money came from to keep all the people in Rome itself in the high state of luxury they were accustomed to. And they were incredibly decadent, and they gave literally the circus. The circus was where they had the, the gladiatorial sports and the horse racing, and the people could go in every day, the public and they got free wine and bread and circuses, just like today. Uh, that's what you give the rabble, uh, and unfortunately amongst the, the general populations, a big percentage are really the rabble. Uh, they enjoy being entertained, uh, even if it's guys smashing each other in the ring or kickboxing and, and breaking their jaws. To them, that's entertainment, something that's been encouraged and brought back, resurrected by modern entertainment and put out for the people of the more base natures uh, to lap up, as they generally do. They did it for a purpose because they want a particular type of populace for this one generation, and they've been very successful in doing so. Knowledge is stored, stored in archives for public libraries, uh, you get the basic stuff with lots omitted. Archives are very rare because they're held by those in power. They give access to some professors once in a blue moon, depending on who you are and if you're well vetted and can keep your mouth shut. But, but even with the general histories I've given out to the public, especially the books were put out before 1920, there's a, a lot of data in there about ancient civilizations up to more modern times with much more of the real agenda. They're much more open about their plans for the future, the kind of society they would create and how they would use the gullibility of the public because they always give you the leaders to follow. Every side, every faction, every personality type that's out there, well, they have a leader for you. Believe you me, they have a leader for you. And they talked about creating a New Age movement in the 1800s. And lots of money was pumped into it. The media went, out, went along with it to publicize it. And old Blavatsky and others came to the fore, and then Edgar Casey and others. Edgar Casey was taught in high Freemasonry from his grandfather, very high Freemason. And gave you all the rubbish about what was under the Sphinx. And it had nothing to do with what he said, of course, as the Masons laugh up their sleeves at the top because I have photographs going back to the late 1800s where the entire Sphinx was dug right down to its foundations and I know what's underneath it because I've got all the photographs there they were published in an old encyclopedia which I got in a junk store I got it for two dollars, this book and that's how I spent my time I didn't watch television, I went looking looking for evidence of the past 
But as long as you don't know these things, they can cover up the sand again and, and mystify you and send out gurus to tell you a lot of nonsense and be on late-night talk shows where the public who are half-sleeping anyway are so easily hypnotized they believe anything they're told. And there have been experts at this done through the ages and more so than ever today where they have access to massive media. Most people want guarantees of the future for themselves personally. That's what religion has given you uh, for. Believe in this and you might be saved. You might be saved. You might get to a better place after this. Or you go to a fortune teller or a card shark who reads the stars or, or rattles out cards there because you want insurance that you, your personal life is somehow more important than ours and that there's invisible powers going to help you because you deserve it. Even if you're not a nice person, you deserve it. You want insurance policies. Constantine, who okayed Christianity amongst all the other religions, there was only one that he okayed out of many. After he did that, he was deified, as they normally were as emperor, as a god. He was a god. And he had his own temple built while he lived, where he'd go and worship his image. He also belonged to the cult of Mithra and a few other societies because he really believed in insurance policies covered every base but Christianity as you know it as it came in was brought in for a different purpose altogether and that was to conquer the minds that could not be conquered by physical armies it was very very effective and along with it when Rome the new Rome came in in the middle ages or the dark ages into Britain and created the dark ages they, they conquered the minds of the people through fear again, fear of the unknown. So not only were you petrified of this life and all the rulers that had come in with Rome, the new Rome, the monarchies and so on, that were above you, especially once the Normans came in, especially the old elite that already ruled a good part of the world, you were afraid of not getting into the next life as well. Hell was a term that was coined from the Nordic word for earth the ground they didn't have that in the country of origin of the Bible supposedly came from they had Gehenna which was simply the rubbish dump of Jerusalem that's where everything was in fire because like all rubbish dumps things catch in fire and there's a lot of garbage in there so they invented Hella well this is it folks this is Hella alright doesn't have to be from Hamish and myself up here in Ontario, Canada. Sorry for the rush talk, but there's no preparation. It's good night. Me, your God, all your gods, go with you. <laughs>